The following is a community recording of the decentralized storyline for the Web3 game Planet Quest. For more information, please visit planetquest.io. Chapter 11 The Cradle Report from the 27th Conference of the Universal Council, Time of Zeta Sagittarii 3.32 held on board Station Ignis in the neutral center of the core systems. Council members for the Empire, Ji Yongju, Ferris Hayden, Kalon Asheret. Council members for the Federation, Oria Adonis, Kim Lee, Elijah Burke. Council members for the Union, Aish Phoenix, Mandla Bankole, Haley Nugent. The following is a transcript of the briefing on the relevant vote for those involved in the Explorer program. As was stated in Sovereign Link's transmission following the conclusion of the last vote, the planet Mamir has returned, after being lost to us since the 23rd conference of this date. Initial surface analysis shows absolutely no change in composition of the planet. Its crust has aged by roughly the same amount of time that was gone for. The only perceivable changes were the complete absence of the signal that led our ships to Mamir in the first place, and the disappearance of turbulent storm clouds covering the surface. However, the Council's fleet did pick up another, separate signal, a distress beacon, belonging to Captain Nicholas Kestrel. Our ships ventured onto the planet's surface, bringing the full force of our fleets to bear on Mimir. While the tunnel networks of the planet were labyrinthian, our operations managed to successfully follow the signal to its source. The following is the last transmission the Council received. Transmission from Soren Link. Location, surface of Mamir, cave network. Dating, fourth report of Zeta Sagittarii 3.32. Designation, mission report. This is Soren Link. We've just passed the last leg on our path to the signal, and it seems the caves are opening up. Hold on, why have we stopped? Ian, man, what's the matter with... <gasps> Good lord! There's something huge in these caves. I repeat, a massive object has been found in Mimir's caves. Organic or not, it seems to be emitting some strange pulse, and... Th there's people here! They look like... Yes, that's them! It's the original crew from the Panopia's fleet! Still breathing, that's good! Get Captain Kestrel on your shoulders! And Commander Vars can go... Here, I think. My lord, what's happened to them? They look... Drained! And this? That's her mission log! Still functional, that's good! Listen. Our operation is currently preparing to bring the crew up to the surface as soon as we can. The nearest Class S ship will update the Council further on the situation.
Transmission ends. The Cradle, Part 2. Following this, Captain Kestrel, Commander Voss, and the rest of the surviving crew were ferried beyond the caves. Commander Voss's logs, which we are currently indexing to be released publicly later, indicate that this object the expedition found is a fourth artifact similar in nature to the Bastion, the Nexus, and the Oracle, but far smaller than any of them. Small enough, Commander Voss's logs suggest, to be transported out of Mimir's cave system. The exact nature or function of the artifact is unclear, but it most likely has something to do with Mimir's sudden reappearance. Early scans of the caves indicate signs of a recent massive quantum surge. Another fact worth noting is that the Arbiter, the Class B vessel sent into the light and captained by Kyle Hayden, is now nowhere to be found. It was assumed the ship had made contact with Mimir, but this does not appear to have been the case. With the Crimson Wolves at large and the recent attacks on quantum shipments, it would be better to have as many fleets as possible on standby at Station Ignis. However, this new artifact cannot be left unguarded. If the Council's fleets are to be kept on standby, this would require an arduous transport of the artifact back to the station, which will be placed in the station itself as well as the rest of the core systems at great risk. The other option is to leave the artifact where it is and use the quantum deposits on Mimir to facilitate initial experimentation with its function. Unfortunately, this will leave the artifact quite vulnerable so far from the core systems. It is quite an appealing target, not only for mercenary groups, but also for other factions. We do not want a repeat of the later years of the Quantum War. Thus, the vote placed before the Council is as follows. Does the Council ship the artifact back to Station Ignis, incurring risk to both the Council and its surrounding system? Or does the Council leave the artifact where it is, prepare it for further research and perhaps even for use, and take precautions for any forces that might threaten our possession of the artifact. Your faction contact will issue a statement shortly and your respective voting channels before the commencement of the vote, 12 hours from now. Union Storyline Com from Haley Nugent, Union Member and Vox Representative By the stars, I'm having a hard time keeping my head in it today. Okay. So this fourth artifact definitely looks like it's going to be dangerous. Damn near wiped out an entire council fleet by itself, for God's sake. And we're considering bringing that in? I don't like it. Then again, leaving the artifact in open space also worries me. No doubt Solace can't wait to get his blood-stained hands on a second artifact, in whatever way he can. I worry about the future of the core systems, explorers, I really do. But I trust in us, in you, 
to make the right decision here. Voting Results The Universal Council has consolidated the votes of each of the factions. The artifact stays on Mimir, 3, Empire, Federation, Union. Bring the artifact to Ignis, 0. The final vote is in favor of keeping the new artifact on Mimir. Word has been sent to the Council's fleets that a significant number of them are to return to Station Ignis. Sarah, Nicholas, and their crew are on board the obelisk to be ferried back to the core systems. We expect word from the flagship soon on the progression of their voyage. Chrysalis Transmission from Florence O'Connor, second comms officer for the obelisk. Location, 10 days off from Station Ignis, moving toward Federation space. Dating, third report, time of Zeta Sagittarii 3.32. Designation, Travel Report. Florence O'Connor here, second comms officer for the obelisk. Soren's taking a break to move around the ship, talk to a couple of the survivors, maybe get a sense of what exactly happened down in Mimir. Seems like they're not sure either though, we might just have to wait until they're fully compass mentis. One thing our fleets have been able to do is decode some of the fragments of Commander Vars' mission logs. Seems like she came up with the name for the artifact, the Cradle, she calls it. Though came up might not be exactly accurate. Anyway, you'll hear it soon enough. I've included what logs we've got in this transmission. Other than that, ship's thermals are normal, engine stability is rising but regular, outer casing still in middling condition from anomaly damage. We're still monitoring all, all quantum drives in the fleet, but there's been nothing abnormal yet. A few blips on the radar, asteroids most likely, but they vanish pretty quick too. Here's hoping the whole journey's this smooth. Log number 152. God, my head. Last thing I remember. I have no idea, actually. Great. That's not worrying at all. It wasn't this dark when we got here, that's for damn sure. There was that tunnel up the surface. Might be night on the mirror then. If we're even still in my mirror, that is. I can vaguely make out shapes. <laughs> my crew, Kate, the cradle, Nicholas. Why he's here, wasn't he? Ah, oh, fuck. Can't think straight. Some of them are moving. My sides feel like someone took a soldering iron to them. Don't look, Sarah. Just don't look. Log number 159. Still no real movement from anyone. Glow around the wound on my stomach looks like quantum, but I can't be sure in this light. I think the worst part about this is that that damn tunnel. Not like we would have ever found it, but it just leads straight up, right to the surface. <laughs> I'm sorry, Casper. I'm so sorry. Log number 174. Strange to be this alone, though not exactly alone, I suppose. Still feels like the world's died, maybe it has. Kate woke up a while ago, crawled to me, said something, I couldn't make it out. She passed out soon enough, head on my lap. They all look, 
really tired. So do I, probably. At least the tunnel gets me a good view of the stars. Can't complain about that, I suppose. When was the last time I took a moment to stargaze? Ages ago. Probably back on Arnhem. Don't remember Nights of Mimir being this long, though. Hold on. Kate, sorry about this. I know you love your old school notes, but... There we go. We'd already started charting the constellations here, so... No. That doesn't make any sense. Unless... Did... You... Bring us here? Transmission ends. Interlude. Several weeks ago. Cal Hayden leaned back in the most comfortable chair in the Arbiter and watched as the lights of the anomaly grew steadily closer. Colors of every imaginable hue played across the deep-set grooves in his face, which remained defiantly calm. At this distance, the scale of the anomaly was breathtaking, an impenetrable tunnel of light. He likened it to the first time flying close to a star, nothing but a pressure pain separating him and instant death. Of course, Cal didn't fear death. He flicked some of the dust off of his uniform and looked down at his crew. The orders from the council had come in a few hours ago. One ship, Class B, was to travel into the center of the light. Cal saw in the eyes of the soldiers that the same fear he lacked, fear of what this journey might bring. They were leaving the safety of the council's fleets behind, and even if they did manage to find Mimir, what then? Cal sniffed. Nothing was more suffocating than humanity's fear of the unknown, and the air on the deck of the Arbiter was thick with it. As a Hayden, he was intimately familiar with death. From the moment his father had held his head underwater until he could no longer breathe, Cal had walked alongside death and observed the path it traveled. Such was the way of the House of Hayden. When death's pace quickened, you matched it. You could not outrun death, but that doesn't mean you could not keep up. However, for the past three agonizing years, Cal had felt neither the need to run nor the need to keep up pace. His fingers twitched on the council, yearning for the heft of a rifle, for the thrill of combat. He was old now, perhaps too old. Far too long now he had walked alone, kept from death by the council and their promises of quote-unquote peace. At a certain age, a soldier only has one more good fight left in him, and the council had known to save Cal for that fight, to preserve his instincts for when they needed them most. Sir, permission to engage. The shrill voice of a lieutenant on deck below broke his concentration, and Cal sighed. Engage. He spoke his words dismissively, turning his gaze once more to the magnificent cauldron of light before him. A shockwave ran through the cold steel of the Arbiter's frame as its quantum drive kicked into action, sending the ship hurtling directly into the heart of the anomaly. Cal watched the thick tendrils of light wrap themselves around the ship's hull and he sat back and braced himself. It's said that no human can truly see past their own limits, that 
if we were for a moment to understand even a fraction of the true complexity of our universe, our minds would be shattered into a thousand fragments and blasted into dust. It was in this moment, in a rush of brilliant and violent light, that Cal Hayden experienced just that. He watched as the Arbiter folded in on itself, its deck convulsing, and in an instant he understood the illusions of space and time as just that, illusions. Cal's mind fought against the thought, but he could already feel the strands of his consciousness being pulled apart, threatening to tear completely in their attempts to grasp the impossible. And then, for a moment, his vision became clear and he saw in the ribbons of light a face the face of a friend, the face he had known his entire life. At last, he grinned, baring his teeth like thick, heavy headstones. Go on then, you bastard. Keep running, I'll catch up soon. With that, Cal's head whipped back, a loud scream tearing itself from his mouth as he pulled his mind back from the brink of expulsion. There was a hollow silence on the Arbiter. The light had gone. The thrum of the engines had stopped. Permission to speak, sir. Cal opened his eyes to a field of stars. A wiry lieutenant stood bent at his side, the lad's freckled face contorting itself in faint concern. How long was I out, lieutenant? Cal breathed. Not more than an hour, sir. Cal sat up straight and waved for the lieutenant to keep his distance. Good. Good. Permission granted. We made it through the anomaly, sir, but we can't find Mimir on our scanners. The lieutenant spoke nervously, rubbing his hands together before continuing. In fact, we can't find anything. No nearby constellations or planets our systems recognize at all. Unfortunate. Cal was surprised at his matter-of-factness on this matter, but he didn't let it show. What do you suggest we do, Lieutenant? He fixed the man with a piercing stare, which the younger man failed to meet. That's not the last of it, sir. I think... I think you should see this for yourself, sir. Very well. Cal raised himself and allowed the Lieutenant to guide him to the navigation console. Dimly aware of the crew's eyes following them and the eerie silence that swallowed his footsteps. He stared at the screen. A young-looking soldier was operating the console. Her eyes, a deep serpentine green, reflected the broad disk of stars covering the display. What am I looking at, officer? She turned to face him. Our system sweeps getting hits, Captain, but they're nowhere close to our current location. And this one... She gestured at a particular cluster on the monitor. The system data's old, sir. Very old. And if we look a bit closer... She moved her fingers, and the stars blurred across the screen, magnifying, until only a single planet was visible. There was a collective gasp from the assembled crew. Cal raised his eyebrow. He'd only ever seen the planet pictured in simulations, holographic mock-ups, virtual approximations, the like. But even then... He recognized it immediately. Any human would. How is that possible? It's the distance, sir. 
Currently, we're more than a hundred thousand light years away, so that's what we're seeing, sir. A hundred thousand years, or more, into the past. Cal Hayden looked once again at the console, at the slowly rotating planet, its ocean startlingly blue, its land a vibrant inviting green. The earth hung in the air, spinning like a jewel halfway to the floor. But if we're that far away, then... The freckled lieutenant stood back, waiting until he was sure that he could speak, and even when he did, his voice remained wavering, uncertain. Yes, sir. We believe we may be in another galaxy. 